Take your Bibles with me this morning and turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I guess I am so fond of 2 Corinthians and this whole section here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5 because this was where the Lord was pleased to bring the gospel to my ear. I cannot wait to get to verses 21 or verse 21 next week because I'll never forget as long as I live. Uh, when, and I've still got it on my shelf at the house. The, the, actually, the, the tape has faded to the point that you can't even read the title on the tape anymore. I know what the tape is. But I will never forget it as long as I live. If I live to 100, unless my, my mind goes away, I'll never forget. When I read the title on that message, Do You Really Want to Know the Gospel? On 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21, I still remember I kind of chuckled under my voice, you know, under my breath, because I'm like, I'm a gospel preacher. What are you talking about? And that, that message preached by that dear saint of God changed everything in my life. It turned my world, my family's world, and many of you that started with us in the very beginning, it turned our worlds upside down. From where we were at religiously, we were, there's no doubt we were moral people. We were kind people. I'll be dead gum. You hear that? There's a red alert. I thought I had that turned off. Let me make sure I got it off. I could have swore I turned it off. Maybe it turned my phone up on its own because I had it turned off. I guess if they want to give a red alert, they're going to give a red alert. We're under a red alert, everybody. So. <laughs> hear it? <laughs> but, you know, it, it was amazing uh, to be taught of God, to see the importance of doctrinal truth. You know, nobody ever made a big issue out of doctrine. It was all about how we felt. It was about some great change in our life, some occurrence in our life, something we could point to and say, I know I'm saved because I'm something different than I used to be. And there's no doubt men and women can change. But I think about it like this, and I've thought about this for a long time. I, I've entitled this message, One Word, it's a big word, it's a scriptural word, Reconciliation. Reconciliation. They had never taught me that in Sunday school when I was a kid. Yeah, we teach all our children in the back everything that we teach you here in the front, maybe in a simplified form. Because like I read to you in Romans chapter 10, how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. You can't improve on what, the way God said things. No, you can't. But this is a conclusion I've come to. The gospel is a plain, reasonable, and simple declaration. Listen to you. And how shall they preach? We read it this morning. How shall they preach? except they be sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them, and listen to what he says, that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Yet many times as justified saints, we can and we do think, overthink this simple message complicating the gospel of peace 
and causing our message to bring forth something other than glad tidings of good things. Paul wrote to those at Corinth in chapter 11 of this same book, the same letter, 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3, he says, But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity, you hear me, the simplicity that is in Christ. That word translated simplicity means singleness, sincerity. This is what I think is the best translation of it. Mental honesty. Folks, we're not being mentally honest with sinners concerning the truth when we complicate the message of God's grace with our words or our ideas. Paul said in the first chapter of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in Here's that same word, simplicity and godly sincerity. Not with fleshly wisdom, which literally means not with carnal wisdom that belongs to man by nature. But by the grace of God, we have had our conversation, our behavior in the world, and more abundantly to you. What does that mean? It means we just need to read the word of God. Prayerfully ask our God to give us spiritual understanding of those things that are of encouragement and comfort to us in our sin-weary soul. We also need to ask him to enable us for the sake of his elect in every generation who are at present in unregenerate state, unbelievers, to simply preach the word. Give us grace to just preach Christ and him crucified. That's what I want to do every time I stand here. I want to make it as simple and as plain and as honest as I can possibly be, I don't ever want to say anything that would complicate the grace and mercy of our God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So look at our text this morning. We came to verse 18. And verse 18 is on the heel of this one. We dealt with this one last week. If you hadn't heard it, you can go back. All of the, Everything we preach is on our sermon audio page. You can go back and listen to the entire series. But here's where these words come from. If any man, verse 17, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, new creature. Old things have passed away. What? Guilt, penalty, and condemnation of sin. Behold, all things are become new. And then he goes right into these all things. Notice what he says, verse 18. And all things... All are is in italics, so it wasn't in the original. All things of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. The all things in this verse, you know what? It's a reference to the same all things that Paul declares have become new in verse 17. A man being brought into a state of spiritual life, all things are become new. A man or a woman being brought into a state of a spiritual life, where does it come from? All things are of God. If you're a new creature this morning, you didn't do it on your own. The fact that old things have passed away and the present reality that all things are become new, where's that come from? Those all things are of God. One old author put it this way. He said, just as all things in the old creation were of God, 
All creatures owing their existence to Him are supported in their existence by Him. All are made for His pleasure and all for His glory. So all things in the new creation are of God. The work of the new birth is God's work. All the grace that's implanted in regeneration and conversion are of God. Let me paraphrase what that means. Nothing is of man. Nothing. And nothing can be ascribed to man. The cause of the new creature, if you're a new creation, because that's why if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, he's a new creation. The cause of the new creation is found in this statement that we just read just a moment ago. Who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Just think about what Paul's saying. All things of God who hath reconciled us to himself. Paul tells us that God, in this case, God the Father, he's the one who purposed and determined to send his son to make the propitiatory sacrifice required to reconcile sinners to himself. You think about it. God the Father assigned this work to who? The Lord Jesus Christ. In his high priestly prayer in John 17, verse 4, our Lord Jesus Christ made this prayer. He says, I to the Father, I have glorified thee on the work, on the earth. I have, listen to this, I have finished the work. What? I finished the work that you gave me to do. He speaks of this incoming work, of this soon-to-be-done work of reconciliation. He speaks of it as what? Is a thing accomplished, a thing done. God the Father assigned this work of reconciliation to the Son in His eternal counts on covenant. He promised to send the Lord Jesus Christ. He prophesied through His prophets in the Old Testament of the Messiah being sent. And then you know what? The Lord God actually in time sent His Son into this world for this express purpose. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to do what? To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. The purpose, eternal counsel, and covenant of God, it did not reconcile sinners to God. The one sent by God, even our Lord Jesus Christ, He reconciled sinners to Himself. It says... He hath reconciled us to himself, how? By Jesus Christ. Christ's blood and sacrifice, his suffering and death, is that alone to which and by which the scriptures describe our peace and our reconciliation. Listen to what Paul wrote. He says, for if when we were enemies, think about it, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. When? We were enemies. How were we reconciled to God when we were enemies? By the death of his son. Much more being, literally translated, having been reconciled, how? By the death of his son, we shall be saved by his life. He wrote in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21-22, And you who were sometime alienated and enemy in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. How do he reconcile? In the body of his death. 
to present you sinners by birth, by nature, by practice, and by choice, to present you holy, unplaimable, and unreprovable in his sight. This offering was made to himself. God was in Christ reconciling the world to who? To himself. This was not a transaction between God and Satan. This is not an interaction between Christ and God and the sinner. This was a satisfaction of God by himself. God, but I think I can't remember the exact place. I think it's Isaiah 43. It might be wrong there. But he says this, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake. Why? He has to be just when he justifies the ungodly. And since he has blotted out our transgressions, listen, he says, and will remember thy iniquities no more. Why? He's satisfied completely in the Lord Jesus Christ. So God made the offering to himself because he was the offended party. And the one who, he was the one whose law had been broken, against whom sin had been committed, and the one whose holiness and justice required and demanded perfect satisfaction. I always think about the Lord Jesus Christ when he was in the garden during the time of his passion and he prayed to the Father and he said, he went a little further and he fell on his face and he prayed saying, Oh Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. That's Matthew 26 verse 29. And I've said this before and I'll continue to say it. Had there be, been any other way sinners could have been reconciled to God, and through the death of his holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinner's son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our God would have answered Christ's prayer and he would have let him go. He would have. But nothing else would do. And thank God nothing else more is required. Christ finished it all. But notice what he says next in verse 19. Or the end of verse 18. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. <clears throat> what a blessed gift the last part of verse 18 is to God's preachers and to you and me as his children. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Literally translated, this verse reads, and hath granted or bestowed on us the office of declaring that which restored sinners to favor with God. That's what we get to tell sinners. What reconciled and restored sinners to the true and living God? You think about this. As those who've been regenerated and converted by God the Holy Spirit through the preaching of Christ's accomplished work of redemption, We've been given a unique responsibility and a unique privilege of preaching Christ's accomplished work of redemption is the only ground, hope, and cause of reconciliation to God. But thank God the Holy Spirit didn't leave this important truth up in the air as something mystical or ethereal. This ministry of reconciliation is not an offer of salvation to sinners if they'll do their part. And it's not an emotional plea by us of God's wish to save sinners if they'll let him save 
By Paul's hand, the Holy Spirit gives us the message we do, or to declare to calling out God's elect, verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Let me try to explain this to you. Now you think about this. It says here in this verse that God wasn't attempting to. What did he actually do? He was reconciling the world to himself. How did he reconcile the world to himself? He didn't charge their sin to him. That's what that word impute means. So if the world here, this because I mean, everybody gets so confused when they see the word world and they always think, well, he's talking about that God's offering reconciliation to every single solitary person that's ever been on the planet. That's not what he's talking about. Because think about, the, think about what he's, the statement he's made here, that God was in Christ through his accomplished death. He, in fact, reconciled whatever, whoever this world is, they're reconciled. Not put in a reconcilable state. They're actually reconciled. How did he do it? He didn't charge sin to them. So there's somebody, whoever this world is, their sin's not charged to them. And where there's no sin charged to them, what is there? There's no guilt. And if there's no guilt, what can there not be? There can be no condemnation. So if world here means every single solitary individual that's ever been born of a woman, what can we conclude? Their sins aren't imputed to them and we can become universalists because who's going to heaven? Every single solitary person because whoever this world is, God's not charging sin to them. Do you see that? Is that simple? I mean, I, I mean we, we just, we're just we're following the bouncing balls all we're doing. God through Christ, through his accomplished death. And see, we'll see that next week when we get to verse 21. God didn't just put his hand up and hide those sins and pretend like they weren't there. The reason he does not impute our sins to us, to his elect, to this world, what did he do? He put them somewhere else. And he dealt with them in strict law and strict justice. I hear men all the time making statements about God's, God's people being under the wrath of God. Folks, listen, there's only been one that's ever experienced the true wrath of God. And you know who it was? You want to see the wrath of God, the true wrath of God? Where do you look? You don't look to, I mean, Pam and I finished watching Band of Brothers this week. It was awful what happened in Auschwitz, wasn't it? It's often what happened in it's often it, it's 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 so awful all the things that have happened men between men throughout all time that's not God's wrath I've had people say well I, God was pouring out His wrath on Israel in that awesome that ain't His wrath His wrath is seen where because wrath can only be seen one place eternal condemnation. And the only one that has ever fallen under that completely and perfectly was who? Christ Jesus, our Lord. I tell you, even the demons in hell and all those who have perished in hell, you know what? It never ends. It's eternal judgment for each and every one of them. But thank God he writes this, and hath committed to us, what? You and me, word of reconciliation. God doesn't use visions anymore. He doesn't use voices. You hear voices? Go check yourself into Woodland Hills. He doesn't use angels to call out his sheep to true faith, true repentance. What does he use? God chose the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. 
How shall they call on him of whom they have not heard? How many sermons did we hear in our lifetime? How many Bible lessons did we sit under before the Lord finally sent some person our way with the truth that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself? Told us that God was at peace with us. He's no longer angry with me. He's not an offended deity, but he's a satisfied father. A gracious redeemer. Think about it. God's pleased to use like we read this morning in Romans chapter 10. What does he use? He used the voices of men. Those whom have been reconciled to him to declare his gospel. Those for whom Christ came and lived and died and rose again and ascended to glory far. They will in each successive generation. You know what? They'll come under and they'll hear the word of reconciliation. It's a red alert. <laughs> somebody had to tell you, somebody had to tell me that God is not his people's enemy because he's reconciled unto himself through his dear son. Listen to what he said through his prophet Isaiah. He says, You are my witness, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. You may know and believe me and understand that I am he before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be any God after me. I, even I, am the Lord. And beside me, beside this God, that is a just God and a Savior, there's no other Savior. There's only one. See, here's the thing. Sinners don't need to be threatened with punishment. In eternal condemnation, and nor do they need to be promised a mansion over the hilltop. They need to hear about God's mercy. They need to hear about God's free grace. You need to be told at this, that God loved you with an everlasting love. And because he loved you with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 17 says, all those that he loved everlasting, what did I drew you to myself. Not one's going to go away. All that the Father, our Lord said, all that the Father giveth me shall come unto me, and him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. Paul said this, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God, what the goodness of God, leads thee to repentance. Something else jumps out in me at these verse. Paul basically repeats what he wrote in verse 18, but he changes two words in verse 19. In verse 18, Paul said this, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. In verse 19, he changes it a bit, and he says, and hath committed to us, what's he committed to us? The word of reconciliation. Like I've told you in the past, words are important. It isn't some random use of words, but this is a declaration of God's truth by His Holy Spirit through His chosen servant, the Apostle Paul. He said, all scriptures given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So why, why the change of the language here? 
Well, in verse 18, Paul was telling us that God had given or committed into our hands what? The gospel of peace. That message that we're to preach out. That message that preaches out peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 19, Paul is telling us something altogether different. That word translated hath commanded means to set or put or place. And that little word translated unto means in. And that word translated words, you know what it is? It's the word logos. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. What are we talking about? The living word. Even our Lord Jesus Christ. What's he saying here? God has placed or put in each of his children a rich and valuable treasure. Rich and valuable treasure. This doctrine of peace and reconciliation by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul stated like this in chapter 4. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, but we have this treasure, and what a treasure it is. We have it in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power might be of God and not of ourselves. Isn't that exactly what happens in the elect center when they made a new creation in regeneration, conversion? See, here's the thing. Only those who know Christ are fit, qualified, and capable of declaring this glorious truth. You've got to know him. You got to put it. For me to tell you about eternal life, I got to have eternal life. What is eternal life? This is life eternal. They might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. All of God's children, from the pulpit to the pew, from the newborn babe in Christ to the greatest saint of God that's ever lived, if you can say any of them are great. You know what they all have in common? They all know the Lord. Why? They've been taught of God, not taught of men, taught of God. Look at verse 20. Now then, we are, you see that? Not we're becoming, we are. What are we? We're ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God. Since God has made reconciliation by the death of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and has committed that message to us, who are reconciled, what do we do? We go forward. We go forward declaring this good news. I'm not giving you the terms of peace. And I'm not proclaiming general amnesty to anybody that will submit themselves to it. What are we doing? We publish and proclaim peace made by God declaring the God who made peace by Christ. These words in verse 20, it's as if Paul is saying, since, since we're God's official representatives, because that's what a rep, an ambassador is, since we're God's official representatives in this world, and he's already said back in verse uh, 15 that we know Christ no more after the flesh. Since Christ is no longer in this world, on this planet, in the flesh. He says, we admonish you in God's place. That is to say, as if God himself were the one 
who was doing it admonishing. What do we admonish mean? Be reconciled in your minds to God. Keep in mind the context. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. It got nothing to do with me reconciling myself to him. We have to submit to it. We have to rest in it. We have to rely upon it. God was the one that was offended. And man, including God's elect, they were the ones who did the offending. God was the one who reconciled his elect to himself through the death of his son. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself. What grace it is on the behalf of God that he purposed and promised and provided the remedy to reconcile those that were his to himself. And you know what he does now? He woos the hearts, mind, will, and understanding of his people to rest in it, trust in it, rely upon it. Resting in Christ as the Lord their Savior. See, here's what we'll say in closing. God calls on his people, as his representatives, to encourage other sinners rest in Christ's righteousness alone. And I know this much. Every one of God's elect, every one of them in every generation, you know what they're going to do? They're going to accept Christ and they're going to rest in Christ. We have to always keep this in mind. If you rest in Christ this morning and you see Christ this morning as the Lord your righteousness, it's not because you're better or wiser or have gone further than somebody else. What is it? It's the gift of God's grace. What is it? It's Psalm 110, verse 3. Thy people shall be made willing in the day of thy power. May the Lord bless his word, our heart, mind, and understanding. Allow us to live ever and always in our present abiding position in Christ, trusting in Christ and his righteousness alone as our only hope calls of salvation every moment that we live. Let's stand together and we dismiss. I appreciate your presence. Lord bless you till we see you next week.